Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Property is almost like a religion in Australia. And while I'm not sure I subscribe to it 100% like some of the zealots out there, John and Emily, what up? It's important because everyone lives in a house. A lot of you want to buy investment properties to build your wealth. Now, this episode is a takeover. We've got John Pigeon, who usually is on a Tuesday show, and Emily Wallace. They host the My Millennial Property Podcast. And they are talking all things property today. We put a thing up in the Facebook group, ask questions. The reason I'm having a bit of a break from the Tuesday shows is I've just had my left lateral ligament reconstructed. So thank you, everyone, for your well wishes. And thanks to our listener, who was the nurse in the theatre room. <laughs> I forget your name, but that was kind of cool to meet someone like that while I was all drugged up and ready to go. But uh, hey, we'll get straight into it. But before we do, a couple of things. One... We've got a couple of new podcasts. The first one, Retire Right, it's been on the back burner for a while. We've got the first few episodes out there, so you can listen to Retire Right, send it to your parents, send it to your grandparents. It's all about the stuff over age 50, over age 55, into the actual retirement years uh, and really planning that. And number two, huge announcement that we've recently made, My Millennial Daily is a daily drop podcast, five minutes a day, exclusive to Spotify. Yes, it's a Spotify exclusive. That doesn't mean that it costs money. You just need the Spotify app if you want to listen to that daily. Spotify wanted something for their daily drive playlist. And it's kind of cool because remember I started My Millennial Money Express wanting to do the Express daily episodes and I've got around to it. Well, hey, we're actually finally doing it now. So My Millennial Daily, John Pigeon will talk about property one day a week. Shelley Johnson will talk about careers one day a week. I'll jump in there, the other two. And on the Friday, the three of us will have a quick powwow. It's short form. It's to the point. Each day, Monday through Friday, exclusive to Spotify. Jump on, give it a follow. And yeah, let it. Let me know if you want us to cover any five-minute topics because it's really cool to get in, get the topic done and get out. But uh, thank you so much for your support, everyone. My Millennial Daily. Retire right. It's all happening. All right. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. Here's John and Emily from My Millennial Property. This is a takeover episode with Emily and myself, and I know I'm John Pigeon, by the way. Um, Glenn's getting some part of his body operated on, so uh, we wish him well in his recovery, don't we, Emily? We do indeed. I saw an Insta post not too long ago that he's on the couch and he's going to be there for a while, so uh, I've come to gate crash the main show and join you for today. Just to run through some property Q&A, Glenn put up a post in the Facebook group 
if you are listening for the first time and you're like, what is this Facebook group? I don't know why you're not part of it. You should be. Go and jump onto the My Millennial Money Facebook page and request to be accepted, I think. But that's where we kind of get our questions and listener input to be able to put these shows together. Absolutely. First cab off the rank, John, is a question directed at you. So I'm going to read the question so that you can answer it. So Taz Benson, I'd like to hear John's views on buying slash building a brand new investment property to be able to claim maximum depreciation versus buying something secondhand and missing out on some or all of the depreciation. Is this something he'd give much weight to when comparing similar properties? And it's got four likes. So I think it's a it's been a boosted Ooh, question. A People want this answered. Yeah. What are your thoughts, John? Taz, long-time listener, thanks for your question. Uh, look, I actually covered this with um, – I'm training a group of buyers agents to become buyers agents at the minute and I, I covered this last week in their group workshop and um, – it's an interesting one. I've done both. So I can come from the position of neutral. I've had great results with buying existing. I've had great results with with, with uh, buying land and building brand new. Now, I suppose I want to start by saying that the number one outcome should never be tax benefits. Um, it's a byproduct of what we do. Uh, we're buying for, I believe, either cash flow or capital growth as the two main headlines. It may be a combination of both. With house and land, there's a lot more that goes into the research to make sure that we're buying the right asset because um, there is, again, I could go on about this for three weeks, right? But let's abbreviate it and say there's infill land and there's greenfield estate land. So that's more new suburbs being created, whereas infill land is, well, I'm, I'm buying in a established suburb that's been around for years and I'm one of maybe four builds within that street and that's basically infill, okay? So underlying is the supply and demand of what we're buying, regardless of whether it's it's existing or brand new. Um, I definitely see some bonuses to that. The depreciation is a benefit. Uh, the, the fact that you attract a good tenant because it's brand new, you attract maybe more interest because it's brand new. Uh, it's, it's set and forget once the hard work's done at the start because you shouldn't have to be improving any of the asset over the next 10 years because it is brand new. Um, there's there's a lot of variables to begin with before we start that exercise, but uh, all in all, I, I like the strategy. What about just springing to mind about the decision-making process, right, between these two options, which a lot of people grapple with, you know, what do I do and why? Uh, yeah. How important would you say, or could you elaborate on, I guess, the importance, because I know it is important, <laughs> the, the percentage of owners versus investors in a certain area of where you're looking to buy in? Yes, yeah, and that that's why I probably like infill rather than greenfill estate is we can guarantee what the owner-occupier versus investor rate is already, whereas with greenfill you, you're more open to the variables. We don't really know till it's complete and, and although areas can regentrify over time and that can change, the first thing we would ask is what is the requirements for buying into that estate? Uh, is what's the ratio of owner rock versus investor and what limitations do you have on investors buying into this particular estate? So that that's probably one thing you can do. But yeah, great point. You need to make sure that you're an investor in a street that has 80% owner occupiers or 90% even, yeah. 
So what you do want is a level of scarcity. You don't want to be, you know, five, six in a row, all brand new builds, all asking the same rent. You want scarcity so that you can get a lot of applications, pick the best one and ensure that your property is in demand when you are an investor. So hence, obviously, your preference of um, infill land as opposed to greenfield estates. I echo that sentiment. Yeah, and and just to sort of round that question out because we could go on for days, but uh, I suppose the whole last couple of years with government schemes and incentives, and they're still running to an extent, does entice us into new, but we really need to understand the, the pros and cons and, and what's happening in the, in each particular area at any one time. And, and, and people say, well, you can avoid the stamp duty uh, on the total purchase price because you're only paying stamp duty on the land. Well, well, that's true, but what you save is probably your holding costs that you would uh, use when you're building uh, because there's no rental income. So one really wipes out the other. Um, so it's understanding the pros and cons before you dig deep into that. Indeed. Now, the next question comes from, I'm going to say it's Yana or it could be Janice with a J, but I feel like it's pronounced Yana Huntkin. Uh Yana asks, how are house valuations being affected with rising interest rate prices and inflation by banks? For example, are they all going stagnant? Are certain types of properties such as lifestyle or acreage properties going up due to low supply? If property prices are going stagnant, when will we normally or when is it predicted that we might have prices start to rise again? Great question. Mm, It is, yeah. I don't know about what you're seeing, Emily, but what I'm seeing, especially with RP data, is that valuations are higher than purchase price or what they're asking for in a lot of cases because of the last 12 months or two years of uh, of increased prices. Is that what you're seeing? There's always this data lag and I think that's why that happens. I am seeing that a little bit. Uh, I think the biggest thing is because it's all based off sold as opposed to what's coming. You know, when you're in a downfall, you're actually, your data of sold is still at the higher mark. So the yes. the swing hasn't fully yet occurred. And uh, as a result of that, I haven't really seen valuations impacted drastically. I did have one, actually a listener of the show, shout out to Jane, uh, and uh, was buying a property in Melbourne and it was a relatively new property, but completed. And we had a drastic, my first ever Uh, variation in the valuation. Lucky it was a subject to finance clause and all covered and risk covered off on. But the commentary in the valuation report spoke a lot around the market and the supply and demand Mm. and the way the market was going. And they were actually making the valuation based on the predicted drop was their wording as opposed to yes. the sales data, which I found very interesting. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think we'll start to see a little bit of that happening. But in any case, regardless of the market conditions, um, that needs to be taken into account. I think it's understanding what the comparable sales are in the area. Um, the, the, the latter part of that question of, well, where do we see prices going in the next 12 months? No one's got a crystal ball and it's really dependent on the asset type and the location in which it's in which it's in, but also the price point within that location. And then furthermore, the type of asset, like you've got a new and existing property that's that's fully renovated that's 
flying out the door and you've got unrenovated property that's sticking around a little bit more because people are scared to to do renovations at the moment. Correct. It's a big thing that people are pulling back on the renos. Mind you, I must say, and I don't know if you've noticed this in your neck of the woods, but the lack of trades and the lack of resources is actually evening out a little bit more now. It was really, at the beginning of 2022, it was really, really evident. It was so hard to get anyone in to do quotes or if they were quoting, they were quoting ridiculous prices. Uh, in Melbourne, I've noticed it sort of even a little bit. Have you noticed that in your uh, patch at all? I have. And then I was only talking to a trader yesterday on site for the house that we're building personally. And, and he was his thoughts were that prices are going up They've definitely stabilised, mm-hmm. uh, but he doesn't see it coming down. He, he thinks that it'll, it'll become the new norm for pricing in a, in a lot of cases, which is a bit of a concern. It's just like, oh, okay, just factor that in and quote away sort of thing, which is uh, quite annoying. But any case, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. But the valuation side of things, generally speaking, you shouldn't get too many low low valuations. I mean, if you're, you're buying well, unless you're buying something that's a bit out of the box and you, you know that you can see the the potential in the upside, but the value of mighton, which can definitely happen from time to time. The market segment conditions is a really interesting one when you look at valuations. Um, it's one portion of the valuation, isn't it? And they rate that from one to five. Like that's basically someone's opinion. Mm. Uh, so it's a little bit unfair as to how they rank that, I think, in evaluation. But in any case, that's just my thoughts. Just a note to finish off on this question. If you have received a valuation that is not in your favour and you're you know, subject to valuation or subject to finance on a property, you can request another valuation. You can request a review from the initial one. But then you could also go ahead with a different lender and get them because all the lenders have different parties they use, third parties for valuations. Highly unlikely you're going to get the same valuer twice for the one property. So definitely leverage your broker or your bank contact to dispute the valuation if it's not in your favour or potentially look at another lender who will actually spark another valuation to take place on that property. Yeah, strategic mortgage mortgage broking. Um, sometimes when you're regional, you do tend to get uh, same valuers in those areas, but uh, <laughs> definitely pickings. capital cities. Yeah, <laughs> slim pickings. <laughs> One valuer covers 300k. So uh, yeah, but generally capital cities are right. You can uh, you can play around a bit, but again, yeah, mortgage broker in your corner is critical for that. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Loach says hi. Hi, Aaron. Um, on the MM Property Podcast, I would love John and Emily, sorry, don't know how to tag them, to discuss all the various experts who drop into your social media feeds, advertising, pay off your home in seven years and build a portfolio to retire on passive income, etc., and then get you attend webinars and sell you a membership for further expert advice. I get there are ways to use equity and capital growth to build wealth and certain types of loan structures are best to avoid, 30 plus years of mortgage repayments and ridiculous interest. However, I'd love to hear from John. And Emily on this. A lot of these spruikers are highly awarded, and I'm sure they do help many people, but no one ever talks about the risks or downside. Thanks. No, thank you, Aaron, for uh, for that post. Um, Emily, what do you think? Look, there are a lot of spruikers out there, and I am constantly flooded with those ads. I've seen that one in particular about pay down your mortgage in seven years. I've seen people spruiking building a property portfolio of you know 20 plus properties in the next 10 years. And I think probably the biggest thing to be aware of 
in these sorts of spruiking or, you know, promotional things is I often trust my gut. Like if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't look right, it doesn't sound right, it probably isn't right. And I would be doing some serious digging and research as to track record results on clients that have gone through the process and have they indeed been successful because I have also witnessed spruikers who came unstuck real bad. There's one in particular in Melbourne that has is uh, facing court at the moment and mm. took people for a ride. I went to one of the webinars actually. No, like uh, not a webinar, Did an you? in-person one. Yeah, back when I was 22 and I was like, what can I do to make more Spring money? Chicken. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. it ended really badly. So I enter with caution massively. Yeah. Yeah, look, I've been to a lot of free webinars, um, especially early on in the journey. It's You can take bits and pieces, pieces from it all and you can just absorb information, take plenty of notes and just um, come to your own conclusion on it. Uh, but ideally, you want to surround yourself with good people. How do you know what good people are? Well, over the journey, it's just a gut feel, isn't it? Like you said, Emily, it's, it's too good to be true. It's probably not true. If that, is that what it goes? Yes, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... One in particular, pay your home off in seven years. I think that that method um, is something along the lines of I've got four or five properties. One of them is my principal place of residence. I jack the interest up on the investment properties for negative gearing and bring the uh, interest rate down on my principal place of residence so I can pay that off quicker. Uh, there's only certain lenders, second tier, third tier lenders that will do that. Uh, but uh, so that's, I think, a method that can be used. But I just, uh, it, it sparked my interest again because I'm playing around with my mortgage repayments calculator here, Emily. And uh, I've taken a 500K loan over 30 years um, fortnightly at 5% interest rate, which is probably about the standard over, a, over a, maybe a 10 to 15 year period. Um, you need to make $2,030 a fortnight as an extra repayment to pay your home off in seven years on that basis, okay? So if you can come up with an extra two grand, roughly a fortnight, you are going to pay your home off in seven years at 5% interest rate, a 500K loan amount, right? So it, it definitely can be done. And I don't think we should be sitting here thinking, oh, I'm going to take 30 years to pay off this thing. We want to pay off much quicker than that so we can uh, have a, have lifestyle choices and, and work towards um, retirement if that's what you want to call it and, and uh, all those sort of things. So, yeah, it's it can be done uh, but it must be legal and it must be realistic for you and your circumstance. One thing I want to touch on within that question, Aaron mentioned that a lot of the spruikers are highly awarded as in they have a lot of recognition behind them and you often see like a lot of you know gold banners and stuff of what they've won or trophies and this sort of thing and look the real estate industry is big for awards I've been to plenty of those awards nights and and look they're great in the right settings but I think what you need to understand is what's the substance behind the award how were they selected for it um sometimes they have awards that are actually like company based so (laughs) you (laughs) you're getting like you know best buyer's agent of the year within the company itself, then that's not overly telling. I think industry-based awards and understanding the substance behind them is important to understand if it's an award that's worth 
paying attention to or recognizing in your selection process of who you align yourself with. Another thing I would suggest is you're trying to screen these potential spruikers. Reddit is a great source of information for these sorts of things. I've often found myself scrolling through Reddit feeds uh, when people have asked a question, you know, have you had dealings with XYZ person? And there's a fair bit of honest feedback that you can find uh, in Reddit feeds. So that could be a tip yeah. to do some more digging. Do you think a lot of people go onto those forums just to just to vent because they've had a bad experience or do they? is it equalised through positive and negative? That's a great question. I have seen both. I guess probably it's probably yeah. more negative than positive on balance, but there are yeah. some people who have put forward, yeah, positive experiences or positive recommendations. Yeah. 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 You basically want to be award winning for your clientele, mm. don't you? And, and, uh, I suppose I'd, I don't have any problems, um, saying to people, look, go and ring two or three of their clients or, or four or five or whatever, and, uh, and just get a feel for what they'd expect if they were dealing with them. Yeah. Indeed. The best, the best source of truth is someone who's already been through it. We might take a quick break. We've got some more questions on the Facebook thread. A lot of there's actually a lot of um, just comments on there wishing Glenn a speedy recovery. So Glenn, if you're listening, we do wish you a speedy recovery. We hope you're okay on the couch. Hopefully, you found some Netflix or some movies or something to watch. Uh, yeah, but don't get bed sores. Yeah, yeah, that's probably not ideal. <laughs> but we will be right back with some more of your questions. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So Anonymous says, I'd love to know John and Emily's thoughts on buying in a falling market. Do you give low ball offers assuming that the advertised price range is based on old sales data, so not reflective of current? Also, fear of buying solo and not knowing if you're 100% ready. Thanks. That's a great question. And I love the fact that this person has mentioned like assuming that the advertised price range is based on old sales, not reflective of the current market, Mm. which is a very, it's a key thing to be aware of uh, as we touched on before around valuations, you know, based on past data. um, That's why they're not really falling yet because they're not relying on today's results. So 
I think probably the biggest thing around navigating this market is you can be a bit more bullish in your approach. We certainly have for clients, we have put lowball offers in that I would call non-offensive lowball, like they're lowball, but they're not like ridiculous lowball. And we have gotten to a point of buying a number of properties even below the quoted range or just into the quoted range uh, in this current market. So when you say lowball, are you talking like below range, like 5% below asking? Like what sort of, do you have a ballpark figure there? So yeah, let's give some numbers. So if it was six to 650 and I genuinely thought that that should really be like a 550 to six quote, I'd probably go in at 550, 560. So yeah, what's that? 40K? 10%. 10% below. On a 600. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look, the, the the big word that I feel myself using a lot in the last probably couple of months is choice. Mm. We're, we're, we're out there looking for clients. We've got five or six properties that fit the criteria. We've got choice because they're uh, the days on market a little bit longer. They're not racing out the door like they were 12 months ago and definitely not racing out the door over the quoted price. So it's actually the reverse. So we'd be able to say, right, okay, 600 to 630 is the guide. Uh, We think it's worth 580, but we'd like to get ourselves a discount because we can, because we've got choice. So it's now a 550 offer. Um, That's not too offensive, but it's, it's the ability to go in and get yourself a discount to the right vendor. Now, the right vendor depends on the questions you ask. So uh, why are you selling? How quickly do you need to sell? Uh, what's your settlement terms? Um, what, it, what What's your uh, days on market? Like how long have you, have you held this property for? Um, all those sort of questions that you want to be engaging the agent with. I think one caveat over this lowballing scenario as well though is A-grade sought-after property that's tightly held still does well in this market and I've harped on about this a lot on socials recently that the things that are selling well and are competitive in this market are actually the properties you do want to buy because if they can withstand this market and the conditions we're currently facing, when we're actually in a much better market, can you imagine what would happen with them? So whilst it's all good to you know get a bargain or get something below the advertised price range, if the property suits your needs and is what you're after, then that's awesome. However, I wouldn't discount the fact that properties that are selling well are actually something that a product type that's in demand and I think in the long term will do you quite well uh, in the property journey. There's, you know, case-specific examples of these but more generally sometimes a bargain you end up paying for it somewhere along the line. If it is a cheap buy, there might be a reason for it. So dog poo will always be dog poo is what you're saying there. Pretty much. Right. So yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, and you we're we're seeing that now, really, aren't we? Like, I mean, it, it the agent maybe may have put the price point at a higher rate, just thinking that it'll walk out the door. And and I think that's where the days on market is a good gauge. It's like, well, the agent's got it wrong here, um, but you don't know if the agent's got it right or wrong unless you've done enough research for that area um, and, the, and the market will tell you whether that's true or not. But I think the key is always to get onto something as early as possible. One thing, I guess, just an industry sort of intel for buyers out there, one thing I've heard a lot of agents say recently is that 
there's been a bit of lag time from them appraising the property to it actually being online. And whether, you know, that's because the vendor wasn't quite ready or painting needed to be done or whatever it was. And in that time, even if it was a four or six week period, the market has shifted. And so the appraised price that the vendor had sort of signed up on is actually not that valid by the time it hits the market. And then it's actually a matter of educating the vendor, which a good agent will do well, that the market has shifted even in this month or six weeks or whatever it might be. And so we need to adjust the price. I honestly have been flooded with emails that have a heading that says price adjustment. Yes. And it's not an adjustment going up, it's one coming down, isn't it? Correct. Correct. You never really see adjustments going up. I mean, unless they're very diligent, but yes. Uh, It's annoying as it is with so many different markets that we're looking in. I've never seen in probably the last three years amount of agents ringing us uh, and and emailing us with properties that they they would like us to buy, um, which is it's it's pleasant, isn't it? Because the yeah, last now they want to talk to you, yeah, got stuff to sell two you. Years, two years <laughs> they wouldn't return calls, so yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, now it's um, interesting times. So it's just. Again, understanding the markets you're buying in, uh, what what the last com- uh, six months of comparable sales have looked like, and and realise that something that sold six months ago is uh, is a very different market to what it is now. Our next question comes from Julia Shellabia, and Julia asks, "What is more likely to have capital growth over the long term: a three-bedroom house in a larger regional area, or a two-bedroom unit in a capital city? Assuming both are in-demand property types." Oh, it's, this is almost John versus Emily. This one, <laughs> <laughs> city girl versus regional boy. <laughs> You go first. Oh, look, I I need more context around it. If if I've got a three-bedroom house that I can subdivide in a regional, I'm taking that every day of the week. I My instinct is to go the city one because of lifestyle and amenity. And I, I used to call myself a Tassie girl, but I'm really now a <laughs> Melbourne girl. Like I feel like yes. I'm well and truly Melbourne. What's interesting is my view on that has shifted – with the way the rental market is at the moment. Like everything is renting out so well in the inner city market. There's 50 people lining up to inspections. It's crazy. However, coming back to the capital growth, which was actually the basis of the um, question, I do feel there's merit in something that does have a land element. Uh, The only exception to that would be if the unit, the inner city unit had a large – a large pull towards some sort of value add, whether it was a facelift reno or, you know, something that they could do to make it better. But I do feel like the regional is probably going to outperform. Wow. This is yeah. groundbreaking. I'm just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> and, and honest <laughs> is the key here. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I do like the potential of the unit markets in capital cities at the moment um, yep. provided for me, I want minimum two bed closer to 100 square and and low supply and heaps of demand, which we're starting to see. But I, I am always wary of these ebbs and flows with this, this supply demand um, over the journey. We look back to 2016-17 and, and we had massive oversupply in certain areas of, of that type of stock. So I, I, I'm wary that it it does swing and roundabout. But 
our general consensus is the regional we're option. The, we're going the dirt. We're kicking the dirt. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Good question, though. It's it's a it's a hot on a lot of people's lips. That one, isn't it? Because mm. we can go and buy a unit for say six hundred, or we can go and buy regional three better with some dirt and same price. Um, the yields are probably going to be. Uh, similar depending on which location regional but um, it, it's the, the growth that people want. Uh, can I just say Glenn's just chimed in on the Facebook feed and asked what date we're recording so he can curate the questions. Sorry Glenn, too late. Too late. <laughs> we're on the last question pretty much so. It's, uh, uh, three quarter time we're eating oranges. Lose. Too late. <laughs> okay, Cat Ford. Uh What's this is for Glenn? He's not here. He's on the couch. But anyway, hey, Glenn, if you're buying your first home, which you'll later be turning into an investment, are you better off buying something under 650 in New South Wales to milk the most of the first homeowner grants, knowing you won't be able to use them again, or to buy at a higher limit that you're comfortable with in the hope of getting a better property and forget the grants? Cat, great question. I'm so passionate about this type of question. You are, and I know which way you're going to go with this, so I'll let you lead it. I just think you have to be so careful chasing grants because a saving up front can most often mean a cost on the back end somewhere. You're limiting yourself if you pigeonhole yourself into that criteria. The only exception to this really is, though, if your maximum borrowing capacity was 650, then I think there is an element of, yes, okay, take advantage of it with the provisor that you are open to multiple areas because if you're only buying where you currently live, the market offering at that price point and it being a good investment is very, very limiting. So there are a smaller number of cases, I think, chasing the grants and flipping it to an investment can work, but I would never make my investment property decision based on a grant uh, because whilst I might save my stamp duty, it very well could cost me if I bought an inferior property to keep within the bounds of the grant restrictions, it could very well cost me in the long run. Yes, that is very true, very true. So I'm going to use a, a bit of a scenario here. Let's say Kat went and bought something for 750000 in New South Wales and ignored the government grants. Cat would be paying 30 grand in stamp duty. So this property needs to go up four or five percent for her to get that stamp duty back in value, not back in her pocket, but just in value as an asset. So that's not a whole bunch. I think that could comfortably occur in the first 12 to 18 months, right? I think there's a bigger issue here. It's she's turning it into an investment what's that yield going to look like and what can she handle from a cash flow perspective when she does that? Because the higher the, the purchase price, generally lower the yield. And if we're running five, five and a half, six percent interest rates, what will a yield look like on a, say, an 800K property? That would be my concern much more than the grants. So we're looking five years, 10 years in advance, not government grants, save myself 30 grand by, by buying under 650. That's a very valid point and something that it's funny, the stamps are such an immediate thought, like where can I save money right now? But then it's that long-term planning. When this becomes an investment, what does 
the running costs look like? What does it actually look like when I flip it? What can I expect? Will it be in demand with tenants? Do I need to allow for four weeks vacancy a year? What, uh, you know, body corporate fees involved if it is part of a strata or what are my rates? All those sorts of things. I think you really need to get a full picture before you commit to a decision and having as much information as possible will lead you to the right answer regardless of grants or what's available and regardless really of purchase price, it will lead you to the correct answer of what you should do. Yeah, should do. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, again, a common question on lots of people's lips at the moment. We've spoken about it on My Millennial Property a number of times, Emily, how these, uh, I suppose, caps or ceilings thresholds aren't high enough and therefore we're forced to basically ignore a lot of the grants anyway or concessions because of that that cap. Uh, another, I guess, a extension of this question that we get a fair bit is how do I go from my first home into my upsizer, like into my next home, and how do I assess whether I keep my first home and flip it to an investment or do I sell it? How do I pull out the equity? John and I are actually dedicating a whole episode to that in the coming weeks because it is such a common question and maybe, I guess, a reflection of the stage of life that a lot of the community you're in, in terms of going from their first home to their next home. So do keep tuned on the My Millennial Property podcast for an episode dedicated to that and the strategy around it and our thoughts on how to navigate it because it's it's too, uh, too much to un pack in just a question answer situation it's more of an episode worthy uh, question yeah totally and and someone said to me that they're a new listener on my millennial property they didn't know that it was sort of over there or they were just in my millennial money land which is which is okay but uh yeah we have been running sort of a good three three and a half years i think so uh you've uh, you've been around even a couple haven't you we've just had our two-year anniversary actually wow we didn't celebrate we may we have to celebrate. do that at the christmas dinner yeah Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Any more? I think that's that's all we got. I think there's a couple there for you and Vince, which must mean you're doing a takeover episode soon. Yes, the great old grey wolf. <laughs> grey wolf. Does he like to be called the grey wolf? Or I don't know. <laughs> hey, Vince. Shout out. Um, yeah, he's uh, so knowledgeable. That guy. I, I love. I almost feel as though when I do an episode with him, I end up interviewing him and just get the the backstory on it and he goes back to 1960 and 1970 and who was in it was in power then and what interest rates were and what inflation was it's just fantastic love it you got to have that intel i think that brings a different aspect to the show and uh, certainly a wealth of knowledge so some great questions here today emily uh again we just um we can't make this stuff up and and it gives you a feel of what's happening out there on the ground doesn't it like obviously we're both buyers agents and we're both on the ground ourselves but it's great to see everyone's perspective or, or what their concerns are out there and there's it's it just so many choices and options at the minute Plenty of things to consider and it's always good to have a sounding board, you know, if you can put your question forward and have some people flesh it out and even posting in the group. What I love is seeing people post their situation and people chime in with when they've been in that position themselves or what they would do. I love reading all the the comments and the, I actually spent a fair bit of time just scrolling through the Facebook group, if I'm honest, uh, of a night time. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the value of the community, right? Everyone's there to help. It's such an inviting and warm community and um, testament to everyone in the My Millennial team who've, who've made it that way, yes, particularly Glenn. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. If it was your first time listening, stick around. Ha- check out some of the previous episodes that um, are on the multiple podcast channels. 
quite a few shows under the My Millennial brand. We'd love for you to go and check out some of the career shows or check out the property one. There's, I lose track of how many different ones there are now. I feel like there's quite, there's quite a few floating around, but be sure to have a look. Yeah. My Millennial Trader or something. What's going on? The new one. Um, what's that? Well, there's, or trade out, but there's Retire Right as well. Retire Right. Wow. Yeah. It's expanding, isn't it? Yeah. Um, if they want to reach out to you and your services in Melbourne, they're, they're hooking up Byer Emily, something like that. Uh, you can just, if you just Google Emily Wallace, there's a page, there's a link, you can book a call or you can just check me out on Instagram. I don't know. You'll find me, I'm sure. (laughs) And how about you, John? Yes. So if you're after a buyer's agent for investments, then envisageproperty.com.au. If you're after a clarity call, jump on, um, sort your money out, get help or just, yeah, solveyourwealth.com.au. Beautiful. Love it. Well, thanks for letting me gate crush the show today with you and be your co-host. I know this is familiar territory for you, unfamiliar for me. I only pop up here maybe once or twice a year. So thanks for having me. Great. It's great to have a female voice. You can tell who's talking, can't you? (laughs) Fixes it up. Absolutely. For sure. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.